Welcome to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. Hi, I'm McKnight's Long-Term Care News Senior Editor, Kim Marcellus. Today, my guest is Brian Fuller, an experienced skilled nursing operator and longtime value-based care proponent who has joined ATI Advisory as Managing Director of the firm's value-based care design and delivery practice. Brian's going to share with us some tips on navigating the VBC landscape in 2024 and in the years to come. Brian, congratulations on your new gig and thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, I always think it's a good place to start at the beginning. So if you would, I know there's a lot of confusion still around exactly what value-based care means. Can you lay some groundwork there with special attention to opportunities for skilled nursing providers? Yeah, absolutely. There are many different definitions of value-based care, and I think we're all guilty of throwing around related terminology somewhat interchangeably. But when I think of value-based care, I think of the full and comprehensive alignment between the quality and cost of care. And that has to be supported by a healthcare delivery system that gets paid for maintaining or improving health rather than the volume of services delivered. For seniors, that's especially important, right? To maintain the highest level of function and participation in life, rather than waiting until they get sick to provide care, which is often more complex and more expensive. For skilled nursing providers, this can take many forms. And I think this has been one of the changes in value-based care over the years, is it now has started to encompass both the long-term care and the short stay populations being cared for. And certainly that differs amongst the payer types of Medicaid, Medicare Advantage, and traditional Medicare. But despite differing opinions, I do think there are significant opportunities for skilled nursing providers to engage directly in value-based care today from ISNIP models to long-term care-focused ACOs within the Medicare Shared Savings Program There's a high needs track that's particularly relevant within ACO reach. And then certainly skilled nursing providers should also be focused on being a really high quality partner to others that are directly engaging in value-based care in their market. All right, that's a great segue to our next question because I think partners are key here. What capabilities do you need to be able to operate in a value-based care environment and find yourself a good partner that you can really align with? Yeah, there's a fairly long list of capabilities required, honestly, particularly if you as an organization desire a greater level of control and influence over your revenue and the populations that you serve. And the work is incredibly complex, I think, as we as an industry have increasingly grown to appreciate over the years to build the capabilities that are required. Some common areas of investment to kind of enhance your capabilities to be successful are data and analytics, building towards the ability to leverage your data to be able to predict what challenges a person will face before they are faced with them. Certainly clinical capabilities such as longitudinal care coordination, you know, for skilled nursing facilities, that's thinking outside of your four walls, what happens to a patient or a resident before they come into your facility, what happens to them as they transition out of your facility, being able to screen and connect patients to services that meet their needs 
and making sure that you're integrating them back into their primary and specialty care in the community. And then there's lots of technology capabilities, which vary quite widely, honestly, depending on your strategy, but includes things like a single view of a person with all the necessary information from their individual record and history. There's a lot of EMR systems out there that are not connected today. I read an article this morning, actually, that said the average acute care hospital system uses 18 different EMRs. And so making sure that you have that single view of the patient, really important. And then how you deploy things like telehealth, remote patient monitoring, and the myriad of other approaches that technology enables for you. What I will say about capabilities, however, and I think this is the most important, the level of capability required and the pace of the investment really depends on each organization's unique strategy. So this doesn't look the same for every organization. Asked about partnerships, so I'll speak really briefly to that. You know, first and foremost, I'll say I haven't seen an organization that has the full scale and control over everything they need clinically and non-clinically to fully care for a large and diverse population. So partnerships are absolutely required. I think what's become challenging about that is the vendor technology and the care partner space has become quite crowded over the years. And so I think selecting the right partner while it's paramount has also become increasingly difficult. And so seeking outside guidance on your partnership strategy is another common way we've seen organizations engage around this work and make sure that they're selecting the right partner among an increasingly crowded marketplace. Okay. And I want to go back to talking about the data and the tech, because I think you would advise people if they don't already have the groundwork laid there, they better start working on it. So let's pivot a little bit about strategy and and talk about, does every provider need a strategy in value-based care today? And maybe you can talk a little bit about what CMS has said around this as well. Well, the answer is unequivocally yes. Every provider needs a value-based care strategy. We've been talking about value-based care for more than a decade now, but the reality is we've seen an acceleration of value-based care across all areas of healthcare and all markets, especially since the pandemic. The pandemic has shined a bit of a different light on value-based care. And so what this has required is a market response from any organization involved in healthcare. Additionally, as I mentioned previously, the work is incredibly complex and difficult, Mm -hmm. and it simply doesn't happen overnight. And so any strategy is a multi-year process. And so the longer that an organization takes to make sure that they have a clear and actionable strategy, the risk that they fall further behind in their marketplace and being able to optimize their opportunities. And CMS and CMMI has been very clear. They are aggressively pushing provider communities into these relationships. They did a strategy refresh in 2022 around the goal of 100% of fee-for-service beneficiaries in a value-based care relationship by 2030. And we've seen that. Their intentions, I think, have been validated in the last 18 months where we've seen a significant amount of new models introduced, models like making care primary ahead, 
guide. And so they're backing up their intentions with the pace of new model introduction. You know, this wasn't on our list of topics that we plan to talk about, Brian, but since you just mentioned some models by name, could you give me just a quick rundown on how you feel ACO reach has been working, particularly as we were talking about the beginning, sometimes skilled nursing has not been able to take advantage of ACO partnerships. Is there more opportunity in the reach model? And and is that going well so far, all relative to what we had in the past? It's hard to say if it's going well so far because we don't have a formal evaluation report that allows us to fully see into the broad participation of the program across all participation types. Having said that, there is an opportunity for skilled nursing facility providers to engage in ACO reach, particularly in the high needs track. And there's been some changes to the eligibility of that track so that patients can be attributed to a skilled nursing facility provider more easily than in the past. So I think what we've seen thus far is some early success in the program. We've also seen CMMI make some changes and tweaks to the program that enhance the opportunities for skilled nursing facility providers to directly participate. Okay, fantastic. So I think there are a few unicorns out there that still have fairly good Medicare penetration traditional and feel like they don't necessarily need to consider value-based care because they're making enough on the patients they treat. What would you say to those folks and in terms of whether this change toward value-based care, is, is it coming for them too? I would argue the change has already largely begun. If you just look broadly across the traditional Medicare population, in 2021, we were already at the point where 44% We're in a relationship that had accountability for quality and total cost of care. And again, as part of the CMMI strategy refresh, their goal is that number moved to 60% by the end of this year. So we're somewhere between likely 44 and that 60% number as we sit here today. So we're nearing, if we haven't already eclipsed, that the majority of traditional Medicare is moving into a value-based care construct of some sort. I think the other thing that's important is as we look across all areas of healthcare, traditional fee-for-service reimbursement isn't paying providers more for the services that they offer. And so this kind of ratcheting down of reimbursement that we've seen combined with more stringent controls on utilization has created an environment for providers where fee-for-service revenue levels are largely unsustainable for most organizations. So what we've seen organizations come to us with is how to think about their revenue differently, how to make sure that they're aligning that revenue with the services that they deliver and how they deliver them. And then this strong imperative for organizations to incorporate value-based care and alternate forms of revenue and business diversification into their overall strategy. All right, let's cast things forward. Uh, We talked a little bit about some changes to ACO reach. Let's talk about more generally, are there any rule changes happening in 2024? Any trends you would project? And then if you carry that even more broadly into the future, how might value-based care experiences be different in the future than they have in the past? Yeah, I think the future has a 
few key themes different than where we've been in the journey thus far. First, I'll say it will incorporate everyone involved in the healthcare delivery system. And what I mean by that is we're starting to see organizations that were kind of sitting on the sidelines in the years past that are now coming to the table and meaningfully engaging in value-based care. These are community-based organizations like pharmacies, social supports, those who are providing other crucial services inside of communities. So we are of the mindset that no one will be left out and everyone involved in healthcare in their communities will need to and increasingly have a seat at the table with relevant value to contribute kind of to the overall achievement of value. Secondly, we have seen value-based care become more specialized based on the unique needs of each individual, whether those needs be clinical, social, or specific to their individual goals of care and what they want out of their life and health care. We've certainly seen an increase in the release of specialty care models and an interest again by CMS and CMMI on better engaging specialist care and value-based care. So this whole idea of specialty populations and a focus on specialization is another theme I think we'll see transcend into the future. And finally, as I mentioned, I think this whole idea of acceleration will continue in the years ahead compared to the years behind us. This aligns with the acceleration and the growth that we're seeing in Medicare Advantage penetration, again, aligns with the goals that CMMI has laid out and their strategy refresh of 100% of traditional Medicare beneficiaries by 2030. And we're seeing the market respond. There's definitely been an increased interest and again, an imperative by the provider community to figure out what is their strategy? How do I participate in these arrangements? How do I take greater control for the premium dollar and get paid for the services and the care that I'm delivering. And so all of that aligns with this ongoing sense of acceleration that we will likely see in the future. All right, we will all be watching, I'm sure. Brian, thank you so much for bringing these insights to us today. From McKnight's, this is Kim Marcellus. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in long-term care news, visit mcknights.com.